welcome to the Black and White Podcast, where we seek to filter the gray world around us through God's Word, with radical grace, raw truth, and real hope. I'm Denise Pass, and this month we are discussing the topic of racism from a biblical point of view. And today we want to look at the role shame has with racism or discrimination. Here with me on this episode is Shelly Singh, who serves the Singh Deep Ministry team with me. Shelly is a former Sikh who discovered the heart of the Father through Jesus Christ. She is a Canadian by birth and has lived in India as well as in the United States. She grew up in Toronto, Canada, where she was raised in a conservative Sikh family and spent time learning about the Sikh faith through Sikh youth camps around Canada and the United States. Her interests include shame and honor cultures, prophetic intercession, and blogging. She holds a bachelor's and clinical doctorate with a focus on hearing loss. She currently lives in the United States. Her heart is to teach others about redemptive grace. She blogs at www.shellysing.com. Welcome to the show, Shelly. Thank you, Denise. Thank you for having me. It's It's a joy and a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm thrilled to have you as well. And I have to tell you a little bit of alliteration there. Welcome to the show, Shelly. <laughs> I think <laughs> if I say that three times fast. <laughs> yes. And interestingly, the Lord has actually used my initials um, to, to show me grace. So the book Song of Solomon is SS as well. <laughs> and that's Aww. how grace. So awesome. So I'd like to start by um, saying a scripture um, for this episode. The scripture is John 8, 48 to 50. The Jews answered him, are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Well, I'll tell you what, that scripture is like, people would say them's fighting words right there. <laughs> you know, there that is such a bold statement there that the Jews said to Christ. Did you catch the racial slam that God's own people said against Jesus? They're calling him a Samaritan who is demon possessed. Jesus calls out their shaming and tells them he's not seeking to honor himself. God is. You know, isn't that such a place of freedom? Shame sticks so much because we're seeking to honor ourselves, And here, Jesus is not at all phased by it. We can spend so much wasted energy in this world trying to measure up in man's eyes. But it is when our lives are all about God's glory that we find our worth. It was never about our color, our appearance, our achievements. Our world operates under shame, but Jesus came to show us another way. Shelly, you have your own story with how shame has intersected with your life. Can you share on that? Sure. So I was raised in a shame and honor culture where performance and um, family values reflect who you are as a person. Now, mm. family values are a good thing, but when it becomes um, your identity, then it can bring shame if you make a mistake or you step out of the norm of a community. Wow. Right there is so such a significant point. If we have that become part of our identity, and that can cripple people, can't it? 
Definitely. And I think that's why a lot of people from shame and honor cultures actually suffer from um, paralysis and perfectionism because they can never attain that level of approval. Mm. Well, you know, last week we discussed five hidden sins behind the sin of racism. And today we're focusing in on one in particular, that's shame. I was looking for examples of shame and racism in the Bible and thought of two examples, both stemming from the Samaritans. So a little bit about the Samaritans. They occupied the country formerly belonging to the tribe of Ephraim and the half tribe of Manasseh. When the ten tribes were carried away into captivity to Assyria, the king of Assyria sent people to inhabit Samaria. This is in 2 Kings 17, verse 24, and Ezra 4, verses 2 through 11. So these foreigners intermarried with the Israelite population that was still in and around Samaria. And because the Israelite inhabitants of Samaria had intermarried with the foreigners and adopted their idolatrous religion, Samaritans were generally considered half-breeds, and were universally despised by the Jews. In John 4, 9, it says that the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. The Samaritan woman was an outcast and looked down upon by her own people. She came alone to draw water from the community. Well, then, but well, I'm sorry, from the community well, when during biblical times, drawing water and chatting at the well was a social high point of a woman's day. However, this woman was ostracized and marked as immoral, an unmarried woman living openly with the sixth in a series of men. She was shamed by others, but she wasn't shamed by Jesus. Jesus was the only one who could in fact truly judge her, and he chose not to. Jesus' disciples even thought it was odd that Jesus would be talking to a woman, and that woman was a Samaritan. As it says in John 4.27, just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. It was not just where she was from. It was the fact that she was also a woman that caused the disciples to shame her in their own minds. Some behaviors are learned but they can be overcome. The disciples were judgmental of her, but Jesus showed them a better way. Man looks on the outward, but God looks on the heart. Shelley, you and I have discussed how shame operates in different cultures, and there's a lot of what looks like a lack of knowledge in the discussions on race. Do you think that this is an actual race issue or that something else is at play here? Now, that's an excellent question. I would have to say there's many factors at play. There's various dynamics that most people don't even look at. Often we react rather than respond. And there's a lot of unhealthy rhetoric out there regarding racism. In my opinion, ignorance and racism, they are not the same issue. So the only way to combat Ignorance is to bring awareness of other cultures, educate others about cultures that they may not be, um, they've not been privy to or have not been exposed to. And there are various creative ways to do that. Awesome. Well, and I think, so what would be some ways? Some, you said there's various creative ways to, to do that. One may be just um, a, attending somebody's 
dinner, you know, going to ethnic restaurants, trying various world cuisines, um, becoming friends with people that are different than you. Yes. You know, it's funny when you talk about that. There was uh, an area I lived in, in North Wales, Pennsylvania, and this neighborhood was so unique. And we had people, it was like the United Nations, <laughs> you know, in that little triangle there. And I had a sweet Indian friend who, she taught me how to make marsala, and she made would make tor- tortillas just with um, flour and water, and I made dishes and taught her. And it was just such a sweet interaction. But I do think you're right that sometimes that doesn't happen. Uh, because we kind of get comfortable in our own little cliques or cultures, if you will. And it is such a beautiful thing if we can just get to know other cultures around us. You know, and although shame is shame, no matter what culture we're from, each culture has its own values and rules that people operate under. I think sometimes we in the West can read scripture through Western eyes, and we can miss the hints of shame as we see in the scriptures today that we're reading for this episode. I would definitely have to agree. Shame it is is not immune to any culture. Shame exists in all cultures, but it just shows up in different forms. Um, in the Western society, there's an emphasis on the self and individual lifestyle, whereas in the shame and honor cultures, the emphasis is on community. So if you bring shame, you bring shame to entire families and communities, whereas here we tend to internalize it as an individual and we may not um, receive the support of a community that would actually set us free. Mm. That's a great point. And I do think, you know, though I do see where families here will suffer to some degree if, say, you have a wayward family member, uh, I would agree with you that we tend to be much more individualistic here in the Western culture. Yes. Another scripture staying on this theme of the Samaritan is found in Luke 10, 25 to 37. And it is the story of the Good Samaritan. We are going to read that scripture and then dive in to see what was happening. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. But he desiring to justify himself said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he said him, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, 
I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Wow. You know, notice the answer of the lawyer. He did not even name the Samaritan. He just said, the one who showed mercy. Perhaps the parable of the Good Samaritan was quite intentional on the part of Jesus, using an ethnicity that was despised as an example of righteousness. We also see in Acts 1.8 that Jesus was calling his disciples to reach Samaria. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. God's love reaches across cultures and ethnicities. The people who were despised were to be reached and loved. You know, we all live in a shaming society, y'all, but we can change the culture. We don't have to operate under shame. Understanding the roots of shame operating in our culture helps us to be aware and to overcome it. Here are five chief ways we see shame operating in our culture that we can overcome. Number one, groupthink. There is peer pressure to follow what everyone else is doing. If you don't, you are shamed and shunned. We need to teach the next generation to examine groupthink and to be strong enough to go against it when groupthink is counter-scripture. We need to remember that we who are in Christ are no longer under shame and the principles of the world. Shame is condemnation from the enemy of our souls, and he does not get the final say. Jesus does, because it says in Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Number two, comparison. The expectation that we need to look like others. Because Isaiah 57 says in ESV, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Comparison is such a hard thing. I think we come by it socially and it has been since Genesis, you know, uh, Cain and Abel comparing, you know, um, not so much Abel comparing, but Cain was, and he was jealous. And you see those root sins that we talked about last week. And number three, supremacy. Everyone wants to be the best, but the truth is there is no best among men. When one race or person is dubbed as the goal, we can lose focus and it can turn to idolatry. Lives can be absorbed in trying to achieve a status or position that was never supposed to be our goal. Shame clouds our vision when we try to be like the creation rather than like the creator. And Proverbs 11.2 speaks to this. When pride comes, then comes disgrace. But with the humble is wisdom. Number four, shunning. We often see people shun each other from groups or even cliques. But unfortunately, shunning can lead to shame. Psalm 34, four to five. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Amen. I love that scripture. And number five is labels. People in societies label others to try and limit their worth. But the good news is shame does not have to rule over us if we choose not to operate in a shame culture. 
Jesus showed us the way in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sits and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus was God incarnate. He could have died for our sins with shame, but he chose to walk through the hardest of circumstances, to walk as one of us, to redeem us. Another translation, the NLT, says he disregarded the shame. We have a choice how we handle and process shame. Chances are you struggle with shame in some part of your life and don't even know it. I wrote the book, Shame Off You, to show how to process shame biblically, all types of shame, from the everyday shame to the traumatic shame we can encounter in this life. It might be shame for your race or your appearance or your position or something you've done or something that happened to you. Whatever the shame is, Jesus shows us how to walk through shame and overcome. Shelly, thank you for being on this episode with me today. Do you, do you have any last thoughts that you'd like to share? Yes, it's been my pleasure, and I'd like to share a few more thoughts. Racism brings shame, while grace restores and celebrates our original identities. As believers in Christ, we can choose to validate a person's experience with racism with grace and empathy. However, racism is not the end of this story. The reconciliation The reconciliation of races has always been on God's heart. And when we choose to break down barriers and celebrate diversity, we bring his plan of unity to pass over the earth. Beautiful. No better place to end than that. The raw truth is that shame operates in our culture as condemnation from the enemy of our souls, whether we know it or not. The radical grace the only one who could shame us chooses to save us instead. And the real hope is we don't have to operate under shame. We can disregard shame just like Jesus did. You've been listening to the Black and White Podcast where we filter life through the Bible and live life in the freedom of truth. 